we are picking up where we left off last week. And remember, as we've gone through this illustration, I think it's um, very important just to quickly review again. Salvation is a free gift. Salvation is not something you have to work for, not something you have to earn, not something you have to behave for. It's a free gift, just like the Bible says in multiple places. The reason it's free is because Jesus Christ has paid for it in full. When he said it is finished, he meant it, it's completely done. And uh, the great thing about the salvation that God offers is it's like a gift that you, as you open up, you realize there's more inside. There's more gifts inside. And so we've looked at that over the course of the last couple of weeks that um, as part of our package, as part of our salvation package, we get salvation from the penalty of sin. And that's called justification. It's a big theological word, but basically what that means is that the righteousness issue that you had, which the Bible says you've got no righteousness, you're not good enough to get into heaven on your own. God has provided a way for you to have the righteousness needed to get to heaven. And the way you get it, as we've seen detailed in the book of Romans, is when you quit trusting in yourself, you quit working, you quit trying, and you trust in the work of another, namely Jesus Christ who died for your sins and rose again. And the moment you transfer your faith to Jesus Christ, God declares you righteous. And if God declares you righteous, who else has a word in the matter? And the answer is nobody. But we know that our salvation from the penalty of sin is not the only thing in the box. In fact, we've got a, an S word in there. Now, another big word, sanctification. We know that God is not only interested in saving you from the penalty of sin, but he's also interested in saving you presently from the power of sin in your daily life. For many Christians that don't understand what God has provided in the realm of sanctification are living defeated and dominated Christian lives. And God doesn't want you to live defeated or dominated by sin. And so he's made provision in the gospel. The moment that you put your faith in Christ, this is also part of your salvation package. And now God wants to daily deliver you from sin's power. And so it's true to say that you have been saved and that you are being saved daily from sin's power. But not only that, the moment you trusted in Christ, God also saved you in a future tense from the very presence of sin. And one day in glorification, that's another big $5 word, but it's just glorification that God will save you from the very presence of sin in your life. And so you see in this gift of salvation that God has provided an answer to the sin issue in your life. He's taking care of the penalty of sin. He's made provision so that you can have victory over the power of sin in your daily life. And he has also delivered you in a future tense from the very presence of sin when you die or you're raptured. And what we've been looking at the last couple of weeks as I put this uh, big box out of the way is we've actually been getting into this box a little bit more, this justification box, because when you put your faith in Christ, this came with benefits. This came with a lot of benefits. We've been looking at those in the fifth chapter of Romans. If you're not already there, you can turn with me to Romans chapter 5. But what we're going to see is that the benefits that we have in this box are given on a basis. In other words, there's a basis which God gives us these gifts, and we're going to see that today. We're going to see this, but wait, there's more. You thought we had already delineated everything that you got, but now there's even more. And, and you're going to see this phrase, go with me to, to verse 9. You're going to see this phrase, much more than. You're going to see in verse 10, 
much more. And so you're going to see this phrase much more. We're diving into this box of justification further to understand the benefits that you and I have because God wants us to rest and know and understand what we have in Christ. And I'm going to tell you something. The basis for these benefits are simply this, Jesus Christ's life. You know, next week we're going to start a, a small breakout series on what the gospel is not. And many people think that the way you get saved is you have to give your life to Christ. Well, I want to ask you, what sounds more biblical, that you have to give your life to Christ or that Christ gave his life for you? What sounds more biblical? What is the biblical approach to being saved? But not only did Christ give his life for you, paying the penalty for your sins and rising again, but he also gives you his very life to live on a daily basis. That's why in Galatians 2.20, it says that the life I live in the flesh, it's no longer I, but Christ lives in me. And, and what we're setting up here, what Paul is setting up is he is transitioning out of talking about justification here in the middle part of chapter five. And we're going to move into the second tense of salvation, sanctification. But you and I have to understand that in order to successfully live the Christian life, deliverance from power of sin, we've got to understand the value that we have in the life of Christ. And so when he says much more, you're going to notice that it's much more. We, uh, we're saved from wrath through him. Verse 10, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Verse 11, we rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom? And you're going to see all of our benefits are tied up in the person of Jesus Christ. See, the Christian life is Jesus Christ. See, many people, what's the Christian life? Well, you know, quit smoking, quit drinking, quit cussing, quit swearing. Maybe I said that twice. You know, quit doing this, start doing this. That's not the Christian life, folks. The Christian life is Jesus Christ manifested through you as you walk by faith in him. That is sanctification in a nutshell. And God has made provisions so that your sin nature no longer has to dominate you. And that's where we're going in the book of Romans. But today we've got to finish out the benefits. And Paul is using this concept of having the very life of Christ at our disposal, the basis for all these benefits. And what it should also do is give you great assurance and encouragement that when God promises you eternal life, when you put your faith in Christ, you have eternal life. Eternal life being defined as life that goes on forever, that never ends. This is why God can promise it because he's not just dabbling you with eternal life. He's giving you eternal life with his son. The very life of his son is also given to you. That's why it's all guaranteed. That's why it's all sure. That's why it's all assured the moment you put your faith in Christ. It would be like buying some ShamWows and getting the ShamWow guy with it to actually wash and dry your car for you. Wouldn't that be awesome? I'd buy that. 1995, that's a good deal. All right. So we are in the middle of Romans 5, and we're going to do a quick review um, very quick because we, we want to move forward today. But some of the benefits that we've looked at, the first benefit we saw in chapter 5 is found in verse 1. The moment you put your faith in Christ, you're justified by God. You're declared righteous by God. You have peace with God, implying that before you put your faith in Christ, you did not have peace with God. And so this is a new position, a new benefit that comes with justification. We see the second benefit in verse 2. 
You have access into a standing of grace. And if you stand in grace, something that's unmerited or unearned, you can never um, leave that position. That position is yours. You remain in that position because if you could fall in the sense of forever fall from that position, now you can not be, take advantage of it. And that's what many believers do. We don't take advantage of our position of grace. But in terms of falling forever from the position of grace, that's an oxymoron because that would then imply you had to merit some reason to stay in that position. And so the emphasis is you remain standing. You have access into this standing of being unconditionally accepted by God the Father through Jesus Christ. Our third benefit, we can inwardly boast or rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. In other words, we can be confident that one day we will be glorified. God has started the salvation process and he will finish it. God doesn't start and complete projects halfway through. He does it all the way through. And so one day you will be delivered from sin's power, sin's presence in your life. And that is a glory hallelujah. I cannot tell you how many days I wake up, look in the mirror, so depressed and disgusted with myself and the failure that I see and the exposure of sin in my life that God allows me to see on a daily basis, whether it's dealing with my family, dealing with others, just even in my thinking and to say one day I'm going to be delivered from that. Oh, praise God. And we've got this hope. We've got this confident expectation that that will indeed happen based on the word of God. Our fourth benefit, and this is very practical. This hits uh, where the rubber meets the road or the, whatever sole your shoe is, polyester, urethane. It, where it hits the road, this is where this comes into play. We can inwardly boast about tribulations in our lives because we know a couple things. Ultimately, what do we know? God has a purpose for trials in your life. God is producing something in your life. What's he producing? Well, you go to three and four. Tribulation produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. If you have that divine perspective on trials that God's using it as a production factory in your life to produce the character and life of Christ in and through you, you can boast about those. You can, I'm not going to say you're enjoying it. It's not like you're become sadomasochistic and start liking pain or something. It's just that you can have a heavenly perspective and, and instead of always trying to get out from under trials, see, that's the Christian solution to trials is pray to get out of them. Instead of recognizing that God may have something for you in them that he wants to bring you through to produce these things in your life. And so we get this as a benefit of our new position in Christ. We can actually view trials in the way that God wants us to view them. Fifth benefit God's love has been completely poured out. Remember, that's not a sprinkle. That's not a drop. It's like dumped out, verse 5, in our hearts by the Holy Spirit, who was also given to us. And then finally, the sixth benefit that we've looked at last week, you have proof of God's love because Christ died for you. We see that in verse 8. Remember this this demonstration. And now as we get into verses 9 through 11, what we're going to see is God has done the harder thing already. What was the harder thing? Well, he detailed that in verses 6 through 8. He said that it's almost impossible to find any person on earth. Remember, he uses the word that, that means labor pains. Like painful, hard. I, I, you're not going to be able to find anybody on earth that's even willing to die for a good person, a righteous person. You can't even find somebody like that. That, that would just be agonizing to try to find one person in this world that's willing to die in the place of a good person And how did God demonstrate his love for us? Well, let's read verse 8. God demonstrated his own love toward us in that while we were 
a good person. Is that what your version says? No, no. It's the exact opposite. And notice the very first word in verse 8. But. B-U-T. In contrast to human beings. And the way that we couldn't find anybody even to die for a good person. God did something totally off the charts. Totally flipped on its head. And he died for us while we were still sinners. Not after we promised to clean ourselves up. Not after we promised to quit sinning. Not after we promised to go to church. Not after we promised to do this or promised to quit doing that. While we were still sinners. While we were literally spitting in his face. Pulling his beard. Putting a crown of thorns on his head. Nailing him to a cross. Christ died for us while that was going on. And if that doesn't demonstrate the love of God, I, I can't convince you otherwise. That's, that's my argument. <laughs> that's Paul's argument. That's what he puts forth. If that doesn't demonstrate the love of God, I, I don't know what else to communicate. Because that's an incredible truth. And so what we're going to see now in the next couple of verses, if God has done that, that's hard. That's a difficult thing. Can he do the easier things now? If he's done all this difficult work, then he's also going to do these easier things. And so some of these easier things we're going to see starting in verse 9. And he's going to say this in verse 9. Let's read it. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. And so we look at this phrase, much more than. Uh, Let's look at it a little bit more closely. The word then actually could be translated accordingly or certainly. Um, The idea is that, you know, for those of you that have gambling in your past, it's a lock, right? This is what he's saying. This is a lock, much more than, certainly, um, he's he's describing something that's that's super certain, super certain, gonna happen, can bank on it. It's a lock, okay? And I've often, you know, Probably not, not in a wise way, but as I've talked to unbelievers sometimes that, that do have gambling backgrounds in poker, they understand this. This is, this is the time where you realize you've got the hand that's going to beat everybody else. And what do you typically do? All in, right? You don't even save your chips. You, you know, you got a royal flush. I'm going all in. And in this case, we're going all in on Jesus Christ because he's a lock. If God doesn't accept Jesus... And his sacrifice for me and his resurrection, he is, I don't have a chance. So I'm going all in on him. That's what faith is all about. I'm trusting that what God says about Jesus, the fact that he raised him from the dead, indicates that God accepted his death in my place, in my stead for me as my substitute. And I'm trusting that to go to heaven. I'm trusting in the one who died for me and rose again to get me to heaven. That's it. I'm going all in on Jesus. And so what he's saying here is this word then, it's, it's certain. If, if we've been justified, and we have, it's a past tense, we've been declared righteous, much more than, much more certain is that we're going to be saved from wrath through him. The word much means many or much of number, more meaning more. He, he kind of jams all these words together. And and really, in essence, what he's saying is, but wait, there's a lot more that we can be certain of. There's a lot more 
That's a lock. That's guaranteed to happen. And one of those things um, that we're going to see is that the much more is referring to being saved from wrath through Jesus. Now, we've looked at justification, but remember, being declared righteous is not a day-to-day proposition where God looks down, takes your temperature, looks at the thermometer and says, nope, not righteous today, John. Go ahead. You have to pick that up tomorrow. Man, you just didn't have a good day today. Sorry, just being honest with you. And then the next day I have a good day and he takes my temperature and he's like, ah, righteous today. Okay, you're righteous today. No, it's not that at all. It's a moment in time, point in time event. The moment you put your faith in Christ, God slams the gavel of heaven. Case is over. You are righteous. Now, it's not righteous because you've behaved righteously. You're righteous because you've trusted in Jesus Christ and he's credited his righteousness to your account. That's why God can declare your righteousness the moment you put your faith in Christ. And we see this backed up in the scriptures over and over again. It's not a a daisy, he loves me, he loves me not relationship with God the Father. It is, you know, just take all the petals off and say he loves me and it's over, that's it. Point in time event. And that's what we see every time when we talk about justification, it's, it's described in the past tense. This is why the Bible can say you have been saved. Done. Past tense. Why? Because Jesus paid it all. There's no more penalty for sin left to be paid. Jesus did it all. If he didn't, he's a liar. He said it's finished. And I believe Jesus. And I believe it for the simple fact that God the Father raised him from the dead. And said, amen, it is finished. It's done. I I am satisfied. I'm propitiated. I accept Jesus' sacrifice in your place. And this is why God can declare us righteous at a point in time. We also see, according to Hebrews 9.22, this this verse in verse 9 talks about us being justified by his blood. Now, why does he bring up blood? You know, you hear a lot of people say, oh, I'm covered in the blood. I'm, you know, and they don't even know what that means. They just, it's a religious phrase they picked up along the way. Why is blood even introduced in here? Because the penalty for sin is death and there has to be blood shed for forgiveness of sins. This is what uh, Hebrews 9.22 says. And it's what the entire Old Testament testified to. So it's, it's got... It's got consistency throughout the Bible, but it says this, and according to the law, almost all things are purified with blood and without shedding of blood, there is no remission. Without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. You want your sins forgiven, blood must be shed. The good news for you and I is that Jesus shed his blood for you. So it doesn't have to be your blood that has to be shed. It doesn't have to be your death that has to make that payment. Jesus's payment can count in your place. We also saw in Romans 4.25 that his resurrection sealed the fact that God accepted Jesus's sacrifice. So now the question becomes, God accepts Jesus' sacrifice in your place, do you? That's the issue of salvation. God accepts Jesus as your only way to heaven. Do you accept Jesus as your only way to heaven? Are you still trusting in a church you still trusting in your good works? you still trusting in the fact that you get up and read your Bible or you pray to whoever, whether that's God or somebody else? You're trusting in those things? That's not the only way to get you to heaven. The only way is the way that God has prescribed, and that's through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Will you trust in what God accepts? That's the million-dollar question. That's the question that your eternity and your eternal home will be based on. 
What did you do with Jesus Christ? Did you trust him or did you reject him? Did you want to get there your own way? And you have that choice. God gives you that choice to make. But I would implore you and encourage you today that the scriptures are clear. There's no other way to heaven than by simple faith in Jesus Christ and what he did for you. That's where God wants our mindset to to gravitate to. And so as we think about our past tense justification, we get this seventh benefit, this much more. And notice in verse nine that the much more is that we shall be saved from wrath through him. Um, In addition to this much more then that that gives us this super certainty, we shall be saved is also a future tense, uh, what we call indicative word in the Greek, uh, meaning it's a guarantee. Indicative is a mood of fact. And so we shall be saved is a promise. That's a promise that we shall be saved from wrath through him. It goes really well with John 3, 16, because it says, whosoever believes in him shall not perish. We shall be saved from wrath. That means we don't have to face the penalty for our sin. That's guaranteed because we've been declared righteous by God because we've been justified. So we know that he's saying we'll be saved from wrath. The question becomes what wrath is Paul referring to? And there's uh, lots of people that have opinions on this. What wrath is he talking about? But I think as we kind of follow the, the argument in the book of Romans, I think, um, number one, the wrath here is articulated. Now, what do I mean by that? It means it's got the word the in front of it. It's talking about a u- unique wrath, the wrath. Okay, so a very specific wrath. And so it's most likely, I believe, speaking of the righteous judgment of God that's going to face unbelievers at the great white throne judgment, which is spoken of in Revelation chapter 20. The other thing is, is just, again, building up the book of Romans in context. This is the kind of wrath that he's been talking about up to this point. Chapter 1, verse 18. Um, Chapter 2, verse 5. For time, we... We won't read these, but you can see this in your own study. 118, 2528, 216, 35, and 319. And you'll see that up to this point in time, this has been the wrath, articulate the wrath that he's been talking about. This great white throne judgment of wrath. And so it's great to know that not only have we been declared righteous through God, but even more, we're guaranteed not to face the future wrath of God at the great white throne judgment. Guaranteed. It's a promise. And so if God has declared you righteous, you don't have to appear before the great white throne judgment because your righteousness has already been settled. When was it settled? When you lived a a string of good days, two weeks in a row? No. When you put your faith in the son of God who died for you and rose again. God at that moment slammed the gavel down. Your case is closed. You don't appear before uh, a, a punitive judgment seat again. And so um, we see that this is very clearly. Now, here's the other thing we want to see before we leave from verse 9, because this is really going to help us as we transition into sanctification. Much more than, look at verse 9 again, having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath. How? Through him. See, not only do you get these benefits, you get the very life of Christ. It would be like me, again, I, I hate to keep going back to this example, but um, it'd be like me trying to get into the White House to see Donald Trump. And, and it, it would be one thing to have a letter from Donald Trump Jr. saying, hey, let this guy in. You know, he needs to see my father. But it's something totally different to have Donald Trump Jr. standing beside me saying, let this guy in with me. See, I, I can gain access through his son. I mean, I could just have a letter, and that's probably good. 
They might have to do a lot more verification because of the forgeries that can happen in our day. But if Donald Trump Jr. is standing right beside me, unless he's got, you know, a Mission Impossible mask on, you know, they needed to do an eye scan or something, um, I should be able to get into the White House, no problem, because I'm with the Son. And see, that's what we're talking about here. It's, it's not just that he's guaranteeing you that you won't, that you'll be saved from wrath, but he's guaranteeing you're going to be saved through wrath through Jesus. Jesus has been given to you. See, this is much more than just giving us a bunch of benefits. This is giving us the very life of his son. And so it guarantees what he's promising here. Let's go on to verse 10. We see this word reconciliation or reconciled, which just means that God has made us a friend. Verse 10, for if when we were enemies, uh, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Again, we see that reference to his life. And so we look at this eighth benefit. Uh, again, we're just building benefits. And, and like I mentioned last weekend, if you haven't had a chance, I'd be happy to sh- uh, share that with you. If we haven't put it on Facebook or if you want it emailed to you, um, this list of 215 things that are now true of you, that you're a believer in Jesus Christ, all, all backed up with scripture. I, you have so many riches and benefits, and I have so many riches and benefits that we, many times we're not even aware of what we got. Isn't that, that'd be like going down to the bank and you got a million dollars in your account and you're, you're worried about if you can afford to eat out tonight or not. You know you got a million dollars. It's like, hey, you know, cake's on me, you know, or whatever. I mean, you could treat everybody in the restaurant. You've got so much riches, and you're worried. You're counting pennies. You're you're pulling change out of the car and saying, man, do we have enough? You know, trying to put dollars together out of nickels. And and here we are. We're we're rich. We're rich in Christ. And so we've just been looking at this in this chapter, but. One of the benefits we have now is that God took us from the place of an enemy and made us a friend. How did he do that? Well, verse 8 tells us he died for us while we were enemies. (laughs) He died for us while we were still sinners. And so he brought us into a position of friends. God is the one doing doing the reconciling. Again, this goes with verses 6 through 8 here. But reconcile by definition means to take an enemy and make them a friend. Uh, This relationship was actually prevented before. Because of God's holy and righteous demands. He, he can't just overlook sin. He's got to punish sin. But in his love that he demonstrated for us, Christ paid the penalty for our sin. Christ took the justice that you and I deserved. And so that is, is what we're looking at here. This is why God can love us. Because Christ took the justice that you and I deserve. This is why God can reconcile us and bring us into a place of friendship, not because we promise to quit offending him, not because we promise to get our life right. It's because Christ actually had the, the justice of God executed on him so you and I don't have to have it executed on us. And now God is free to bring us into a position uh, as a friend. In fact, we notice that reconciliation uh, by this verse is an action that God executes. Okay, it's a passive voice. We were reconciled. In other words, we don't reconcile ourselves. God reconciled us. God took this action. And it also tells us that it's not a continual process. It's an aorist tense in the Greek. It emphasizes a one-time event. You have been reconciled. Case closed. You are now in a position of friendship with God if you've put your faith in Jesus Christ. And the reason 
that he can do this is because of him, because of Jesus. He gives us his life. And that's what we're going to see here as we go on, because he gives us again this, this much more concept. Look at verse 10. For if, when we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, here's our phrase again, much more, having been reconciled, past tense, we shall be saved by his life. And so based upon this, um, this much more concept and based upon this completed action of reconciliation, God has guaranteed uh, another promise to you. And that ninth benefit is simply this. We shall be saved by his life. Is there, is there any question? You know, when we talk to people, in fact, I would encourage you today when you go home, just take a couple of minutes before you put the bulletin away. Um, I know many of you read and study the bulletin and have a filing system for those at home. And, you know, I, I, I get all that and I appreciate that, you know. And I, if I ever need to go back to 2013, I know I can trust many of you to pull that out for me out of a file. All joking aside, take a look at the testimonies inside that bulletin today. I want you to take a look at, at some of the young people in our church who were scared, like many of us, fearful to share the gospel, who, who came to get trained and equipped with a tool, who went out and shared the gospel with complete strangers. And I want you to see the encouragement that there's, that's there for you to see that. And, and, you know, it's, it's in these conversations many times that we talk to people and we, we get to a point, we say, what are you trusting in? Why would God let you in? And we get to this, this question on the survey, why would God let you in? And people, they'll go through a laundry list of things. Well, I, you know, I try to te- keep the Ten Commandments. You know, I, I light candles. You know, I go to confession. I, I go to church. You know, I try to do well. I try to do good. I try to take care of this. I try to take care of that. And we get to the end of the list and, you know, we only leave so much space in there for people to fill out. And sometimes we fill out the whole sheet. And um, every once in a while, just with someone that's especially maybe uh, has sat in with maybe a smug attitude, a very religious, religiously smug attitude, I'll, I'll get to the end of the list and I'll say, well, what about, what about Jesus? And they'll say, oh yeah, him too. And I think I've shared that here before, but what about Jesus, him too? Really? That's... <laughs> That's the mindset. And, and you're going to notice that when Paul gets to this section, he goes to this much more, that it's through him. It's by his life. It's through him, under him, through him, through whom. All the, it's everything is connected to Jesus Christ. There's a reason the Bible says that Jesus is the Savior. Because Savior, save. Ultimately, you are saved because of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is your Savior. Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world. He can save anybody, even sinners. In fact, if you're a sinner, you qualify for salvation. You don't have to be a good person to qualify for salvation. That is a misnomer that is unbiblical, that's not found anywhere in the Scriptures. God saves sinners, and Jesus Christ is the Savior. And so we find our salvation, even here, wrapped up in a person, not in a thing, not in an activity, not in a behavior. In fact, if you want to be honest, it is based on a behavior, but it's based on his behavior. It is based on a work, but it's based on his work. See, everything is, gets twisted around, satanically deceived in our thinking, because anything Satan wants us to trust in anything other than Jesus Christ and him alone. And that's why when you put faith in Christ and you don't have a period after that statement, you got problems. 
You start putting commas and ands and buts and contingencies and but your heart has to be like this and your mind has to be and you have to do this and you have to go through this ritual. You just messed it up. It, it, it got very unsimple real quick. And it got off course. It's, it's like a train that went off the rails at that point. The message is simple. Christ died for your sins and rose again. Do you believe that? Will you trust Jesus Christ to save you? And see, this is what Paul is trying to give us, this emphasis, this assurance that when we are declared righteous by God, we don't have to question whether or not God will ever accept us again. How do we know? Because we have his life. Much more than. If he did this hard thing, this is easy for God. (laughs) You're going to be saved from the wrath to come. That's easy because Jesus died for you while you were still a sinner. That's a hard thing. God took care of that already. And so this ninth benefit, we, we see here what, the what that saves us, Christ's life, but it's unclear what we're saved from. Again, this is one of those um, passages that there's going to be some different lines of thought. Um, but, I, but I think what we're seeing here from the introduction of this verse uh, in verse 10, you'll notice that the very first ver- uh, word in verse 10 is four. And so I think just from a, um, an observation perspective, that he's building on the same argument he just made in verse 9. Okay, he's, he's expanding his argument for verse 9. And so what were we saved from in verse 9? Well, we were saved from wrath at the great white throne judgment. So I believe he's um, talking about this again. So it must be that his life saves us from the wrath of God in the future judgment at the great white throne as well. Um, however, and this is where some of the disagreement comes in, and so I just want you to be aware of it, and I'm... I'm actually could go, you know, either way in a sense, because even being saved from his wrath was taught in verse nine. It's probably reemphasized again in verse 10, but the case could be made that it's referring to salvation all the way through. We shall be saved presently from the power of sin and in the future from the very presence. All of that's true through his life. We're going to be saved. And so you could say we're being saved daily from the power of sin by his life, or you could say we will be saved in the future from the very presence of sin and by his life. I think both of those statements are true. I think both of those statements um, could be drawn from here. But the key, and, and this is the key that I don't want us to miss, the key is having the life of Christ. See, that's the greatest benefit of all from our justification is that we have his life, that we're accepted through him. And so we see that in verse 10. And then to close, verse 11, there's some benefit now. We've looked at this a little bit through the first few verses, but let's read verse 11. Uh, And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom, notice both of those throughs, uh, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. And so Really, in verses 9 through 10, there's only one time element that we haven't tackled in this section today, um, and, it's, and it's present. We've looked at the past benefit. We've been reconciled. We've been justified, and we will be saved from the future wrath at the great white throne judgment. So we've got the future, but now we've got this present benefit. Now, this present benefit's already been brought up back in verses 3 and 4. In fact, Paul uses the same exact word here that he has uh, back in the first few verses in terms of rejoicing, um, which basically means this inward boast, okay, this inward boasting in God. And so now we see our 10th benefit in this section that we rejoice in God, our boast is in God. And why is it in God? Because of
our Lord Jesus Christ or through our Lord Jesus Christ. This word rejoice is a present tense participle, so it emphasizes what, what our present and continual mindset can be. As we understand the past and future benefits of justification, we can have a different perspective on today. We can have a different understanding of what God is doing in our life today. And not only can we have a different understanding, but we can actually boast in trials. We can go to James 1, 2 through 4 that says, count it all joy that you've fallen into diverse trials. And we can actually say amen to that and say, instead of saying, what in the world is he talking about? You know, what an idiot. Has he ever lived a day on this earth with trials? He said, man, that's the guy you don't want in the room, right? He's just like Mr. Goody Two-Shoes. Are you kidding me? Boast in trials? Be excited about trials? But see, that's the benefit, one of the many benefits of our justification, that we have all of these guaranteed benefits. We've got the very life of Christ. We're accepted through Jesus. And so when we go through things in this present day, in this present age, and in our daily lives, we can actually rest with Jesus, who's walking through it with us. And see, there's, there's that benefit from having his life there with us. This word uh, is better translated boast. We've talked about this before, but um, because it expresses an unusually high degree of confidence in someone or something being exceptionally noteworthy. And in this case, who's he boasting in? Who's exceptionally noteworthy? Who's worthy of, of being boasted about? Well, look at verse 11. God. God. Why God? Because of what he did through Jesus Christ. What did Jesus Christ do for you? He died for you and rose again. And God has given you his life as a believer. And we've got to understand the benefit of that, especially as we walk and live in our daily life. So why can we rejoice and be confident in God? Because Jesus has secured, I want you to notice that in the text, the, the reconciliation, not just a reconciliation. See that in verse 11? Through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. You know what that means, folks? It backs up all of Scripture. There's only one way to heaven. There's there's only one way to be reconciled with God. And it's through his son, Jesus, whom God accepted in your behalf when he died in your place. And so Jesus provides this reconciliation, this ability that for God to take you from the place of an enemy and to make you a friend. And just in closing, as we kind of get ready for next week, we're going to see this concept through Jesus, with Jesus, in Jesus, this, this what we would call um, identification. And, and this may not mean much to you before, uh, to you right now. And, and I'm hoping that by the end of our sanctification section in Romans, that this will mean everything to you. I, b- I believe it's that important. Um, if you've never been exposed to this concept or you've been exposed and it hasn't sunk in with you, that's okay too. I think we're going to spend a lot of time and I think you'll see it repeated. I think you'll see the emphasis in scripture. But I want you to understand that in this first 11 verses, that the Greek preposition dia, meaning through, is used six times. Six times. That's a lot in 11 verses. You don't typically see a lot of repetition like that. Um, as it relates to what we have through Jesus, and I believe it provides a great segue into the next section in Romans, who describes or which describes who we are in Christ. And see, 
what we've got to understand is that there's something called identification. And who God identifies you with is more important than who you identify with yourself. And many of us need to understand this whole concept of identification because it's key to practical sanctification in our Christian life. And so if you, if you are not familiar with this concept or haven't heard it before, or it's been a while since you've thought about it, um, keep coming to Romans. We'll keep, we're going to keep diving through this and you're going to see why this is important. What God is doing here in our identification with Christ is key. It's essential to you living the Christian life as Galatians 2.20 says, living by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for um, the message here today. Thank you for Jesus who died for our sins and rose again. Thank you for giving us his very life uh, so that we can be uh, assured that we're saved, um, not only from the penalty of sin, but we've got everything in place to be saved from the, the, the power of sin in our daily life and that we will be saved from the very presence of sin based on who he is, based on his life, based on our identification with him. We're just... Uh, eternally grateful uh, for your plan, which has no holes in it. And uh, Lord, we're just thankful for that. Uh, We pray that as we leave today, that Jesus would be uh, really just at the center of our thinking, of our mindset. Uh, We pray for those uh, fathers uh, here and those sons and daughters here that we would, um, to the best of our ability, honor uh, those fathers amongst us and uh, those that aren't with us as well, that we would just have uh, an honoring time for those fathers, that they would feel appreciated, that they would feel loved and validated, even though uh, they would readily admit they're not perfect, um, but, but grateful for the, the opportunity, even for these imperfect fathers, to spend eternity in heaven because of the perfection of your son and what he did for them. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.